I'm going to read Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 53. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees! because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that have been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Please keep your Bibles open. Thank you very much. Now, just a few seconds while uh, the children go to that little group, uh, well, one group, over there. <coughs> and uh, I realise I've got to stand somewhere. If I get in the way of the screen, uh, could you turn me off? Uh, and uh, you shouldn't miss too much, but uh, if you do, then uh, let me know. Right, okay, we'll start, uh, we pray, and we'll get straight to uh, a question that is a good one to start with, and that is, is the church full of hypocrites. Ah, if I've had a fairly friendly time, I've heard someone say that. It is. Ah, I'd be uh, looking like a fat man. Uh, 
as a good question, let's stop laughing. Uh, but the big question for us is, is that a serious thing? How serious it is to have people who are hypocrites in the church? Is that a kind of a, a, a little throwaway charge? A bit of a laugh? Or is it something really, really major and important? Well, it's interesting how Jesus in this passage is up to expose hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is just play acting. Okay? It's basically this. It's looking one thing on the outside and being different on the inside. That's a hypocrite. Okay? The shining dirty. Now, Jesus is exposing this and he goes specially to have a meal to do this very thing to expose this bloke for being a pretender. How do we know he did that? Well, because he's obviously there, having a meal with him. And while he's having the meal, he doesn't wash his hands in verse 38. Now, let me tell you, washing hands isn't a matter of doing what we do, which is wash our hands because they're dirty, and then you're obviously going to wash them before you eat. Now, this is something Jews did with perfectly clean hands. They did it because it was part of their ritual, part of their tradition. It's kind of just their way of being good that they wash their hands even though they didn't actually need to and Jesus doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He knows exactly what the score is. He knows what they expect him to do and so therefore when he doesn't do it he is provoking a comment if you like, provoking a fight. And he wants to shout. Hypocrisy. But when you listen carefully, that's actually not the only thing he's doing. What he's really doing here is his teaching that he himself is 100% God. You can tell that because he knows what's going on in the heart. Verse 39, he knows that uh, there's uh, uh, what's inside the Pharisees, that they're full of greed and wickedness. Only God knows what's inside you. Jesus knows. And he knows what they're thinking in verse 38. Yeah, it says they're surprised. Actually, in the original, it says they were keeping that secret, but Jesus actually is going to answer the question and uh, talk to them about what's surprising them, although they haven't let on what it is. But Jesus knows, and so he's going to deal with that. Because actually, uh, they are pretenders, and Jesus is God who shows them up. Only someone who is clean on the inside can dare to say verse 39. That there are some people who are dirty on the outside, uh, dirty on the inside. There's only one man in the world who, if I, if I was to say verse 39, it would be blatantly rude. But there's only one person who can say verse 39, that's someone who's clean on the inside as well as on the in outside. He is God. That's the point. But then here's this amazing thing that's a bit of a surprise because what Jesus then goes on to say in verse 41 is to be generous to the poor and then everything will be clean. Now, 
cry out loud, what's that got to do with the price of chips? I mean, how does giving generously make you clean? That's got to be a mismatch, isn't it? Well, remember the big deal is the Jesus of God, and we'll begin to see how those two things fit together. Because what Jesus is really wanting to show us in this passage is that there are two heart attitudes that will muck you up on the inside. Okay? Two heart attitudes. First is when we want to get rather than give. And secondly, when we want to point rather than own up ourselves. Okay, let me start with the first one, which is basically when we want to get rather than wanting to give. Now, you have understood, haven't you, that what these religious blokes, these Pharisees are trying to do is they're trying to get. Have you noticed that? So that if you, for example, look just across the page at verse 43, where Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. So what do they want to get? Hmm? What? Recognition? Yeah. Respect? Okay. So they're wanting to get stuff. Now you go around and say, mate, your big problem is you want to get stuff. They will turn around and say, Whoa! You couldn't have got us more wrong. We're the generous givers. Hey, look at us in verse 42. Uh, we're giving God a tenth of everything. The Old Testament says that we are to give a tenth of our income to God to show how grateful we are uh, for Him. It's okay, Captain, just remember uh, how generous God is and we give God 10% in recognition of all that he has given us. Now these Pharisees, hey, here's gold medal time, because when they hear about the tenth, they don't go to their bank and make a standing order, they go straight into their kitchen to the spice rack. And they start measuring out the spices, which he never had to do, but that's what they did. But then you're wise people, aren't you? You're sat there and you're working out. So how do we know what they did? Well, they must have spoken about it, must they? If they hadn't gone public, how would we know what they did in the privacy of their own kitchen? So the fact that they're broadcast, the fact that they give even their mint, is interesting. It's part of their wanting to get respect. I mean, Tithe of mint? Who's going to give a tithe of your mint to? Now, clearly, you're only doing it because you want to get the recognition that you are generous and keeping God's law even in the kitchen. You want to get. So that's basically what uh, uh, the Pharisees are doing. They are wanting to get a reputation. They want to benefit themselves by everything that they do. But giving, on the other hand, 
I know it sounds Irish, but giving isn't actually about giving. It's about emotionally loving. Because if you look at what it actually says in uh, verse uh, uh, 42, when you don't give, when you go into the get mode, you are neglecting the love of God and the justice or the fairness of God. So the person who's giving is really not doing it in a mechanical, calculating way. Let me get uh, my little machine out and work out what her percent is. The giver is the person who looks across at another person and says, how do I, how do I give this person an experience of God's love? Especially if he's going through an unfair situation. How can I make my giving count to benefit that person who needs to know the love of God at this moment in time. You see, getting is ultimately a thing that we feel good about ourselves. It's the feel-good factor when you, when you get respect from somebody else. But when you give with this heart so people understand the love of God, well, then it's the feel-God factor that you're interested in for someone else to have. You see the difference? And it is really important to see the difference because this is mega serious. If you look at verse 44, where it says that these guys, and remember, they're pretty religious guys, okay? They're Pharisees. And Jesus says, Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without realizing it. Now, do you know about unmarked graves? Now, I don't know, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, in the Old Testament, okay, God put down lots of laws to show us that we very easily make ourselves unclean in front of Him, okay? Now, one of those laws is, if you touch anything dead, and a grave sight, well, then you were defiled, you were unfit for God, you could not enter the temple, you were cut off from God, therefore, until you went to the temple and asked, or got someone in the temple to offer a sacrifice for you, and it's like the defilement that is in you, from the dead things, goes on to the sacrifice being offered, and they die, they are cut off from God for being unclean, and you, as the person that this, this animal died for, is now made clean. Okay? Now that's what happened in your question. Now, if you touch my mark grave, it means therefore that you are cut off from God and you can't go anywhere near the temple. Now, here's the interesting thing. That experience of being cut off from God comes from contact with these religious leaders. Touch them, or hang around them, or stay with them, 
and you will end it with God. Your relationship with God is over. You see the seriousness of what happens when we go to the wrong place of uh, Bible teaching. And that's a really important warning for us today. Not just yesteryear, at the time of Jesus. Now, church leaders today don't, in one sense, become church leaders because they want respect from society, because by and large, the world outside takes up a whole waste of space. But that's not strictly true, especially if you're kind of C because people still think that there's a little bit of value added uh, if you're uh, part of uh, the religious establishment. So the Bishop of Trent has recently been made a bishop in the House of Lords. Nah. That's got to have a little status, isn't it? So, it's true that society doesn't rate us as highly as it used to, but there's still a little bit of that left over. But, hey, if you're a church leader in the church, then there is a lot of respect from people, by and large. The people go to church think that, well, you are on a bit of a pedestal. That's true in the Church of England. They call you Reverend Mike Reed. Um, that's the stuff. Give you a fancy title. In most TV church we go to, there's a special seat for the vicar sitting, and he sits in it. And you might say, well, that's the church of England, everybody knows I go on the park hill. But actually, it's everybody. You take the Dudo Pentecostals, and, you know, they're very quick to call that pastor, pastor. And I go into the Pentecostal friends, uh, that I have, and, and quickly I'm called a pastor and, and, and I'm whipped over to the top table while I try and sit down um, with the rank and file and they give you the same treatment. In fact, actually, in some of my dream churches they even bowed before when they shake their hands and stuff. And I want to say to them, hey, look, don't do that thing. It doesn't do me any good because it starts making me want to like this sort of stuff and, and, and get it more and more rather than give more and more. And let me tell you, if that's what happens to me, then it's dangerous for you because if that's what I'm like, you come in contact with me and your relationship with God is over as well. Because very soon in that kind of climate, what you learn to be is respectable on the outside and who cares about the inside which is massively dangerous for us to uh, be part of that. So wanting to get, not give, is uh, dangerous. But so is wanting to point, not own up, which is what happens with these teachers of the law in verse 45. Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. You got the message, haven't you? Hey Jesus, we're not like these guys. You can insult them as much as you want, but hey, lay it off because don't let any of the slack fall on us. We're different. We're not the same. We're background Bible boys. All we do is we study the Bible so that other people get to benefit from it. Hey, we're not after all the glory stuff. 
like the other crowd. So, essentially, their message is this. Not me, God, it's them. And they're, they're far enough. And yet Jesus points out that they fail God as well, just differently. Because they treat the Bible like a to-do book, like a rule book, like a how-to-live-your-life book. And let me tell you, if that is familiar to you, be careful. Because that is actually not what the Bible is. What these scribes did was they missed out on the grace of God. And the grace of God is not a, a little part of the Bible that all these laws, you've got to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Then there's this tiny little section about grace, and yeah, okay, turn over the page, and then you've got more this, this, and this to do. It's not like that. Grace is on every page of the Bible. And when you get the law page of the Bible, it is simply because God wants to humble us and to realize that the very best thing about God is He loves people who can't keep His law. And so that's why He sent His Son to forgive them. What Jesus did was He perfectly obeyed each law on our behalf. And then He died to bring us forgiveness for all the laws we haven't kept ourselves. So the whole point about the law is to show us how fantastic Jesus is. How he kept those laws. How he forgave us the laws we can't keep. And yet, what they did was they just loaded up the laws and the laws and the laws like I did with uh, I think. And I didn't get the finger to help. Well, that's what the tribes did in their day as well. So the Bible is full of grace. And to make the point, uh, Jesus would, uh, they, they get the, uh, make the point, Jesus, uh, sorry, God sent them prophets. One after the other to tell them about God's grace. Hey guys, you haven't kept the laws? Turn to God quick so you can grab his mercy. This is what your God is like when you break the law. He's merciful. Go to him now. Fast. And what did you do with the prophets of grace? When they want to keep the Bible and they only want to do the Lord? Well, the message of grace comes along and they obliterate it. They bump off the guys that come and able to Zacharias kind of the A to Z. It so happens it is that in English, but actually it is that in time as well. Because Abel is the first verse in the Bible, you can read about it um, way back in Genesis. And he's the first guy in the Bible who offered a sacrifice to God. In other words, the first one who said, God, I don't want to do any pointing. I'm the guy who's in the wrong. I need somebody else to die on my behalf if I'm going to be acceptable to you. That's the mindset of Abel, and he was killed by his brother Cain, who 
want to please God by doing stuff, by growing stuff, by presenting all that he had achieved. And Zechariah? Well, if you had a Jewish Bible, they've got the same books that we have, but the last few books of the Old Testament Jewish Bible are arranged slightly differently, and Zechariah is the last prophet who was killed in the Old Testament part of the Jewish Bible. But notice he was killed between the altar. That's the place where grace is shown, where a sacrifice is made for God's people. And that's where they didn't want him to live. So, these guys killed all the great messengers. And then you know what they did? The next generation comes along and says, Hey, that Zachariah was a cracking good prophet. Hey, I'll tell you what, he was such an ace bloke. Let us build a great tomb to celebrate his life. Shall we do that? And so they celebrated the prophet that killed in the previous generation. And Jesus says, hey, look, you're the same. And they say, no, we're not. If we'd been there, we'd never have killed those prophets. We're the ones who honor the prophets, they're the ones that butchered them. It's a bit like them saying, hey, it's not us, it's the Pharisees. They're happy to blame other people, but not earn up themselves. But of course, they are just like the previous lot. If you look at the end of the chapter, in verses 53 and 54, they want to besiege him with questions, and they want to catch him with something that he might say, because frankly, they want to kill him too. And then the next generation will come and they say, Hey, Jesus is a cracking great guy. He spoke to us about God's grace. Hey, let's have a good Friday service that goes on for three hours, that makes a big deal about Jesus dying. And yet if somebody comes into that area preaching grace, well, they're not popular either. So, the whole point of uh, what uh, Jesus is showing is, look, if he is God, take his word for it, that you are like this, and don't be a, 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 and admit the fact that we want to get rather than we want to give, and admit the fact that we like to point rather than own up. If only these guys owned up that Jesus was right about them because he is God. Then they would have gone to him and said, what do we do? And they would have found out that the one person that they called dirty because he hadn't washed his hands is the only person in the world that could have made them clean. So what do we learn from that today? What happens if you're someone who's new to all this stuff and you've not heard about it before? Well, it may be that you've come here and maybe 
once or twice it's gone across your mind that actually the church is full of hypocrites. And you know what? You'd be right. You'd be spot on. Because actually there is only one person in the world whose life was the same inside and out. And therefore, you yourself may not be religious, call yourself Christian, but actually within your own world, that's true of you as well. And the best thing to do is to admit it. Rather than try and pretend, to cover it up by doing all the right things on the outside, to point to others and say, well, they're a bit worse than I am. Why don't we just simply ask Jesus to make us clean? And ask him to make us so filled with love that we're willing to be generous and from now on to live our lives to give. What happens if you're a churchy person? Well, it is important, isn't it, to see how easy it is for religious people to turn into Pharisee people. To say that actually what we're on about is keeping all the laws that God has given us and we put our efforts into church and doing it that way rather than to really love people through the generosity of our lives. Well, the outcome is scary, isn't it, if they're like that? If they're Pharisee Christians, see what that means is that we're heading for hell. And the trouble is we're taking other people to hell with us. Everyone who comes into contact with that kind of Pharisee system is likely to die because they have no understanding of what God is like. Religious people are really dangerous if uh, that's what they're like and different on the inside and the outside and different to the way that Barthard commands the Lord and you must do this rather than tell you about the God's grace. What about us who would love to be a disciple who would love to be more like this? What does that mean? Well, I think actually it means that we would want to see that actually this is what the reality is like. We've got to start by owning up to that truth rather than duck the reality of what Jesus shows us. And we need to, when we read the Bible, see, yes, it does show us that we're like this. Because what will happen when you understand that this is you, what will happen is you will love the person who is this. You will love the person who kept all those laws on your behalf and has done it for you. Finished. 
So you can say, or he can say of you, you have perfectly obeyed God. Because I'm keeping all the laws on your behalf. And equally you can ask this person to make you clean on the inside, because he can. The way Christians live new life is not by working through all the rules, but by asking God to fill us with His Holy Spirit and then supernaturally be changed because the cleanness of Jesus starts operating inside of us as well. To live like this is a supernatural thing. And when the Lord Jesus cleanses us and lives in us, this is the kind of change that, that He will bring. And when he brings in that change, how do you know he's brought it? Because he'll turn you into a giver. He was serious about the giving of the money. Because when he says at the bottom about the giving of tithes, he doesn't say, well, you know, stop doing that until you get the heart right. He says, no, keep doing that. But uh, don't stop. Keep practicing the latter, but bring in the former. Bring in the clean heart. And the time we know that Jesus has done this for us on the inside is when actually we start being givers to the point of using our money in our generosity to others. Not because we've got our calculators out and we've worked out what the tithe is. But because actually, when they're filled with Jesus, the love of God fills up inside that we want to serve those who haven't experienced his love. And we would love them to have that experience with our money, helping in that very practical way. So let me stop there and ask you if uh, there's a, a kind of a confusion that I've left in your mind, anything you want to say, argue back, disagree, you're allowed to do all those things, but uh, we'll uh, take that from you and uh, spend the next few minutes of chatting together.